35 through 51. Please pay attention as we look at God's word. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angel of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The word of the Lord. Well, we are going through the book of John this winter and this spring, and this is a book with a purpose. John writes with a plan, and we see at the end of the book, he says that in chapter 20. It's written that you might believe in the Christ, the Son of God, and you might have life in his name. The writer of the book of John, many people call the John the Evangelist, he's a promoter. He wants people to know the message of Jesus. He's an eyewitness to what happened. And he wants this good news to be spoken and seen and believed by other people. And we saw at the very beginning of his book, he talks about how important God is and Jesus is. He says, this Jesus with, is, was with God and is God. He was not created, but instead he is the creator of all. He is the one that brings light and life to a dark world. If you believe in him, you will be children of God. So John is saying, this is something you should listen to. This is a message that's an important. He is an evangelist, a promoter of the message. Evangelist basically means uh, the messenger of the good news, which John is. And in the beginning of his book, he starts recording the people who did listen to Jesus' message. Those that did see 
God become flesh in Christ. And we get to learn about who these individuals are. And we see the first person that John the evangelist talks about is John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was a pretty popular figure in this time. He had many people coming into the wilderness, following him, listening to him, being baptized by him. Even officials would come out and ask, who is this guy? Is he a prophet? Is he Elijah come back? Is he the Messiah? Is he Christ? And John responds to these people and he says, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of the one that is coming before, um, after me. And then he points people, his followers, continuously, as we see in John 1, to Jesus Christ, pointing them to him, saying, here is the Lamb of God. This is a figure that was big in the Old Testament. We read about it in Isaiah. It can be a figure of one humility and also a figure of being risen up and a champion. He says, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Whether John the Baptist knew what exactly Christ would do, that he would actually be the sacrificial lamb talked about in Isaiah 53, that he would be the sacrifice atoning for people's sins. He might not have even known that, but for some reason he said it and it was more true than he even knew. That this would be the sacrifice for Israel, Jesus Christ. So he says that one time and now he says it again. He says, here is the Lamb of God, and he says this to his disciples. You've got to realize this is a very countercultural way of living, John the Baptist. Now, when you get a following in our culture, you don't send them off. I mean, you nurture it, right? When you get Twitter followers, you need more, right? When you have people on your Facebook page, you've got to put more out there. You've got to advertise yourself. You've got to promote yourself. But that is not what John the Baptist does. Instead of taking in more followers, he gives away followers. He points people to Jesus and not to himself. And in his famous line, as we read later in the book of John, he says, He must increase. And I must decrease. The question is, responding to the first chapter of of John, this is what John the Baptist does. He says, Jesus Christ is life and light. He is the word becoming flesh. My life needs to point towards him. And I will sacrifice and give myself, even my followers up, to magnify him. It's a good question for us. Are you one that gives yourself, sacrifices yourself, that others might be able to see that you love Jesus? Are you one that gives of yourself and says, you know, I'm going to sacrifice my own needs, my own wants to help others just in the way that Christ has done that for me? Do people even ask you about that? I don't know if anyone's asked you, why are you so friendly? Why are you so sacrificial? Why maybe you put yourself um, into my shoes and help me in my situation, even if it does not benefit you? Has anyone ever asked you that? 
What is your response? You know, the reason I can sacrifice and I can give and give of myself because I'm a Christian. And that's what Jesus did for me. See, and that is John the Baptist. He gives of himself, even his own followers, and points them to Christ, that Christ might increase and he might decrease. Well, he gets the ball rolling. The ball rolling that basically gets the whole gospel going. That people are starting to follow this Christ. And you see the ball starts to move. Because what does it say? It says, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this. And they followed Jesus. So who are these two? Andrew and a name we don't see. They start walking behind Jesus. And we can imagine these guys maybe tippidly like walking behind him and Jesus turning around and being like, dude, what's going on? What are you guys doing? Well, that's, that's maybe the message paraphrase. Uh, but it says, the, the two disciples heard him say and followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? A fair question. What are you after? You after popularity? You after a champion? You want to be on the winning side? And they respond, Rabbi, which means teacher. In the Hebrew, it's translated the great one. They respond by acknowledging, we want to hear from you. You are a teacher. Teach us. Where are we supposed to, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to learn? Help us. It's the first thing that we see what they're seeking. And the second thing you see him say is, where are you staying? Where are you staying? The Greek word is amazing. It's uh, actually the word abide. Where are you abiding? It's a word that continues to be used through the book of John, specifically John 15, where God talks, to, Jesus talks to his disciples and says, abide in me as I abide in the Father. These are pointed words. The reason they're pointed is they're saying, you are saying something that is half true. You're saying I'm a teacher, but I am much more than a teacher. You ask me where I'm staying and where I abide. I'm not just staying in a place, in a home. Even the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. But I am abiding in God. I mean, Jesus could have corrected him right there. I am more than a rabbi. And it's more important than where I am staying. It's who I am loving and who I am living in. But he doesn't lay it on these guys, does he? He doesn't say, you fools, you don't get who I am. You don't even understand the first step of what my mission is. But Jesus does not respond in that way. Instead, what does he say? He said to them, come and you will see. Come and you will see. Maybe it's a good question for you. A fair question for you. What are you seeking? What are you after? And what is life all about? I want to find hope. I want to find meaning. I want to find purpose. I want to just find a job that might fit my gifts. <laughs> I want to find a spouse. I want to find something that makes my life meaningful. Meaningful. 
But Jesus is asking for more than just that. He's asking to seek more. He says, maybe there is something more than just popularity. He's saying, seek me, find me, and I will give you more than just the good life. I will give you more than just figuring out a buffet of truth. I want to give you what real life is about. I'm going to give you what it means to follow God. Uh, it seems very interesting in our culture, there's much ambiguity about God. There's this idea that, okay, there's so much truth out there, I can't really find who God really is. And then we kind of have this smorgasbord of religion. I'll pick something that fits me well here. This works well for me, I'll pick that. Maybe I'll come to church and they'll teach me something here or there. I'll just take these things and put them together so they might help me in how I will live life the best way. See, Jesus is not allowing this ambiguity. He's saying, God can be found in me. Here I am. Come and see. I will answer these questions I am God-made flesh. You will see God when you see me. There is not ambiguity. There is truth. And he wants people to come and follow and see where real hope lies, where real meaning lies, where real life and light lies. It is in him. So it says, so they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was the 10th hour. A very interesting little comment. It was the 10th hour, meaning it was 4 p.m. Why? How would they know the time was the 10th hour? Why is this inserted in the first place? Well, I think it was inserted in the first place because this was the actual time that they met Jesus. They remembered it. We see we have Andrew, but we don't know who the other person is. Many people argue that the other disciple is actually John the Evangelist, the writer of the book of John. He is the other disciple writing this. He was there. Of course he remembers the time. It was a significant time in his life. Even if he wrote this book 50 years after the life of Christ, he remembers the exact time he met his Savior, Jesus. Four o'clock. I remember it. It's clear as day. I imagine if Bruce Marker, who was on our softball team, you know, if he hit a home run this June on our softball team, he would remember that day. Yeah, I mean, he, I, re, I remember it was June 24th, and the lights were on. It was 9.15 p.m., and I hit that home run. I remember that time, and he would remember it for the rest of his life. People say, you know, this, this is great, you know, story writing. Right? It's a John Grisham novel. You know, John Grisham writes specific dates and times, how things smell and everything like that. That's not how people wrote back then. If you read the great myths of the Greeks, they didn't write about the 10th hour, specific times, or what people smelled or what people cooked, which is in the book of John. 
That's not the way that people wrote myths. Why? Because this isn't a myth. This happened. It was four o'clock. John the evangelist saw Jesus. And what was their response? Well, the first thing they do, the first thing Andrew does is he tells his brother, Simon. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. We have found the Christ. It goes from John the Baptist to Andrew, now to Simon. Andrew's saying, look, I found essential oils, right? Is that how people promote essential oils? I swear, anyone that has essential oils, it's like the the most important thing in their life, right? Oh, my word. Sorry, nothing against essential oils. We have found essential oils, right, you know? He says, you'll never believe what I have found. I want you to see it too. You know, the truth is, we are all evangelists. We like to admit it or not. You're all messengers of something. Whether it's essential oils, whether it's amazing books, whether it's cycling, whether it's a new movie, whether it's that Netflix show you're binging. You're promoting something. You're an evangelist to something. I look at Andrew. How many of you guys know another story of Andrew in the book of the Bible? Maybe they're my Bible scholars. Maybe There we go. We got a couple. How many of you guys know another story of Peter in the Bible? Right? Yes. But the point is, we know more about Peter than we know about Andrew. Andrew is the first one that heard, but the brother that we hear most about in the Bible is Peter and in Christian history. See, the way that the gospel moves forward, at least the major way, is one person telling another. You might not be John the Baptist that talks in that way among other, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Or you might not be a Peter, but you might be an Andrew. Truth is, we're all Andrew in one way. How? There are people in this world that you can witness to better than anyone else can. You know that? There are people in this world that you can witness to better than anyone else can. Your similar hobbies. Your similar corny jokes. Your love for a specific team. Your personality. Your own flesh and blood. Same parents. Maybe your same sufferings or painful experiences. That you are able to speak to people better than anyone else can. See, Andrew didn't do this with an advanced degree in Jesus. He had just met him. He had just found the Savior. All he said to his brothers, come, come with me and see. And he brought him to Jesus. 
Well, the sharing keeps going, right? It doesn't just stop there. Many times people believe that the Greek is actually, it's not Jesus' name in verse 43, the next day Jesus. It's actually not used there. It's just um, a pronoun for he. Some people say that he is actually referring to Andrew, that he was directing them to Galilee, all of them together, Philip and Andrew. Uh, sorry, not Philip and Andrew, but John and Andrew both had come with Jesus to Galilee to meet their other friends, which was Philip, who was there that they knew. Here is this toe of guys all together. Boys from childhood might be, say, a fraternity showing up and telling each other and showing Jesus to them. And Jesus meets Philip and he says, follow me. And then it keeps going. Philip goes and tells Nathaniel. And again, there's an eyewitness account. We found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. These are specific things. He's from Nazareth. He's the son of Joseph. These are eyewitness accounts that you can refer back to later. These people, he came from this spot. He was a son of this person. This person existed. And here Philip is saying, you know the Old Testament that we know so well that talks about a Messiah and a Savior that directs towards this? He's come. This is who the prophets talked about. This is who Moses talked about. Here he is. If you think this uh, so far sounds like a really happy, lucky book, everyone's happy, oh, Jesus, Jesus, we love him, we're all going to follow him. It doesn't. There's always the skeptic that comes along, isn't there? And here comes Nathaniel. Maybe you are the skeptic. And what does Nathaniel say? Oh, yeah, I'll follow too, right? No. He's, he's like, I don't know about this. Can anything good come from Nazareth? That side of town? That small place? Really? There's no way. He is very skeptical. You see, Philip presses, and he says um, to him, Philip said to him, come and see. What do people say to you? Maybe you have the skeptics around you that respond to the way Jesus is. And you maybe talk to Jesus about them, and they might say to you, you believe that stuff? Wait, you go to that church that doesn't have its own building? Isn't that kind of crazy? Wait, you, you believe that thing that those people kind of vote for one specific candidate? Those literalists, those fundies? I mean, this is Nathaniel. I mean, skeptics didn't just come in our time. They came from the beginning of time. And Philip doesn't go into some theological excursus. He doesn't talk about it. He just says, come and see. Why don't you just come? I think many of us have friends, like we talked about, colleagues, coworkers, and everything, that we're afraid even to broach the conversation about Christianity. We don't even want to have that first step. Where are you at spiritually? I want to hear 
from you. Maybe you feel unequipped or afraid. I hope this passage gives us hope. That even this guy, Philip, who didn't know much, still shared. And still said, come and see. We're going to be doing something as a church, and it's a challenge. And I'm scared too. But I think we can do this. And maybe all of us in the church, every single one of you, might have a conversation with at least one person that just says, I want to hear about where you are in your faith. That we just listen and hear where they're coming from. And then from that conversation, we might ask them, will you come and see? Maybe it's one-on-one. We're going to be doing some training to how to do a one-on-one conversation with someone for four weeks about faith. Will you come and and hear about Jesus with me? Just one-on-one, we'll talk about it for four weeks. Maybe you invite them to your community group. Our community groups are going to be going through the I am statements of Jesus. Say, come, we have this great group that gets together, has food and talks. Will you come to our group and we're going to talk about it? Maybe you invite them to our men's group at Praxis at the Stone Cellar. We're going to be watching a documentary about the meaning of life and discussing it in small groups. It's really kind of existential and fun for people who like to think outside the box. Come and see. Let's talk about it. And if you feel unequipped, come on Sunday morning next week. And we're going to talk about what it means to share your faith. Come to Praxis as we talk about it. See, the disciples barely knew. But you saw the passion. And they said, and they promoted, come and see. And you say, well, I don't have Jesus. I can't ask them to come to see the physical Jesus. I think we have a lot here. They can see the word. They can see what he has done. Well, we've heard stories of John. Heard the stories of Andrew and Philip and Nathaniel. But what have they really come to see? Who is this Jesus they've been brought to? Well, in this passage, I haven't even gotten to what Jesus says, but it is profound. What does he do first? Well, Simon comes, and Jesus changes his name. What the heck? He just meet a guy and says, oh, guess what? Adrian, your name is now Paula, okay? You'd be like, what is this guy? But there's tradition here. Who changes names? God changes names. And if you know Simon, the name that Jesus gave him, which had meaning, is, is the name Rock. Peter is, he was no rock, was he? He was an emotional roller coaster. But Jesus saw who he would become. Jesus is saying, I know you, Simon. I know who you will be. You will become Peter, my rock, and who I will build the church. And then 
here comes Philip, you know, and Jesus says to Philip, follow me. This is revolutionary. You see, back then, you didn't have rabbis come to people asking them to follow him. Instead, people would come to the rabbis and say, am I worthy enough? Have I trained enough? Am I good enough to be able to follow behind you? And usually it's guys that were really well trained, the best of the best that could follow the rabbis. Here, Jesus goes to the lowly, to fishermen. And he says to them, rather than then saying to him, follow me. So I say to you, come and see the one that seeks people out. No matter their profession, no matter their background, he comes to us and says, follow me. Come and see a God like that. That is profound. And then here comes Nathaniel, the skeptic. And he says, oh yes, here comes a true Israelite. One that's without deceit. One that's just going to tell me the truth. And then Jesus gives this idea that what he saw, I saw you under the fig tree. If you don't know, I'm speculating, but many people speculate. The fig tree was a place of prayer and a place of hope. It's where people, uh, it was an image of hope, a place where people hoped for the future for Israel. I can imagine Nathaniel was under this fig tree, this true Israelite, praying, God, bring your Savior, bring your Messiah, come and help us. He was praying this prayer. And then Jesus comes to him and says, I saw you under that fig tree. So I say to you, come and see. The one that knows your prayers. The one that knows the longing of your heart. The one that knows you inside and out. Even your fears when the pastor calls on you to preach the gospel to others. I don't want to do this, God. I question if you even love me. Come and see the one that cares for you. And loves you. But then Jesus drops the bomb in front of all of them. Because I said, I saw you under the fig tree. Because I said, follow me. Because I gave you a new name. Is that why you're going to believe? Is that why you believe I am the Messiah, the Christ? Behold. And then he says the key words, truly, truly, which is the words, amen, amen. It's to get people's attention. This is true. This is good. This is faithful. This is a true saying. Pay attention. I'm repeating it. I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Here Jesus is quoting what Jacob saw Back in the Old Testament, Jacob, the father who all these people loved and appreciated, the father of the nation of Israel. And Jacob, in this hard time, God revealed himself to him by showing a ladder and angels coming from heaven up and down. And here Jesus is saying, if you follow me, you will see God too.
you will see the kingdom of God breaking open. You will see angels coming and going. You will see it in this way, how I heal others, how I reconcile the lost, how I raise people from the dead, and how myself forgives sin through my death and resurrection. You think by me just saying, I love you and care for you and know your name, that's enough? I'll tell you there's even more than that. You will see God, and that is me. And I will rise from the dead. Come and see. See what I will do. See how I will shape your life. I encourage you, Emmaus Road. Are you an evangelist? Are you a promoter? I know you guys are. I talk to you. You promote something. Will you promote the one that saved your life? And will you tell others, come and see? And will you too come and see what that Lord might do in your life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for my neighbors. I pray for them that they would come to know you. For Esme and for Riley. For Heidi and Mike. For Shannon and Mark. God, I pray for my neighbors that do not know you. That you would turn them from darkness to light. That they would confess your name. That they would come to know you. And God, I pray that you would give me boldness to speak to them about you. I pray you would do the same for our congregation. That you would put names upon their hearts. That they would ask those that they know. And I pray for people right here today that don't know you. That they would come and see. That they would journey with us as we look in your word what it means to be a follower of you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.